And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winter, and I'm here as always with the champion of truth, Dr. Bear Paul Lando, coming to you live and direct from the great state of Jefferson, where freedom still reigns supreme. I'm wearing my truth, love, freedom shirt here, guys. Uh, we are patriots indeed on the great Smith River here. It's flowing beautifully. It's sunny out. It's going to hit that 80s today. The garden's pumping. Um, I've got to get my soil crank in more. Been working on that this week. Uh, man, it's finally good to be in the spring here. We've been doing tons of videos on the Instagram stories of bear um, <laughs> digging holes and putting poles in and fences with the great Mark Giver and Deb Lando out there uh, doing all her amazing gardening. Uh, and on that point, real quick, before we bring James in, uh, an exciting announcement. Deb and Bear will be featured on the Soil Summit uh, for, uh, what is this, Heart and Soil Magazine, Bear, I believe it is. Um, and that is, uh, yeah, Heart and Soil Magazine, Soil, um, the Gardening Summit, actually. Uh, I just went to the site, it was playing there. It's the Gardening Summit. And actually, if you're interested in finding out more, just go to alphavedic.com forward slash gardening. Uh, I believe is the link I set up. Let me just double check. It'll be in the show notes below. Yes, alphavedic.com forward slash gardening. And Bear Lando and Deborah Lando will be featured in that, talking about what you guys love to do most. So that's fantastic. Uh, and everything else has been going great. End of COVID summit recordings have been going great. We I literally interviewed with James last week. I've got a number of, uh, with bear coming up and we did, I did the Biggelsons yesterday for a mind blowing two hour deep dive into microscopy, the Biggelson method, uh, and true terrain methodology, a pleomorphism. Um, they showed the rife video bear, um, with the, uh, reverse pleomorphic cycle of the frequencies. It was super, super cool. So, so much yeah. amazing truth coming out right and, now. And uh, Josh Bagelson will be here on the farm in about a week or less. That's so, going to be uh, awesome. Mike, come on over and uh, we can have a discussion just, just here, just like do it outside somewhere and everything. Um, yeah, so glad you guys are doing that. That's amazing. And I'm I'm looking forward to uh, giving a little bit more input from a biotrained practitioner Um perspective because there's nothing but solution when you understand how the human ecosystem works no matter what they throw at us uh the creator's design can overcome anything but it's just uh waiting for us to actually figure out how to you know be active participants in our own biology and that's what biotrain medicine is all about Beautiful. And and as we bring James on, he's going to uh, make it a very important note here today about the need for practitioners to actually have the um, the logistic or uh, really the diagnostic, excuse me, uh, ability to see what's really going on in the blood related to our topic today, which is transhumanism and AI and all that, the nanotechnology. And that's something I did uh, talk with the Biggelsons yesterday about. And there's a lot of misdirection uh, and mis uh, sort of wrong, bad science. And I would even say corporate malfeasance going on with this. I, I can't wait to get into this with James today, but he is dead on. And uh, I'll let him kind of speak from where he's coming from on that. But I think bioterrain is a phenomenal methodology and way in which we can understand what's going on with the body in relationship to technology. Yeah. And we just have to be aware of the snake venom salesmen out there who are trying to keep us in a perpetual state of fear 
because fear um, will, you know, and it's uh, um, the reaction by our adrenal glands that then set up a whole biochemical chain of events, which the microbial populations that are endobionts, then they are triggered uh, in such a way where their inhibition is, uh, is it's to say curtailed, then they go into the, uh, the full 16 phase cycle and become um, decomposers. And it's not a good idea to decompose your body when you're still living in it. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I'm looking forward to our, our chat there on bioterrain for into COVID. It's going to be mind blowing. I'm sure. Um, you ready? Let's do the intro and get James in here. Yes, absolutely. Looking forward to this. And James, uh, we'll do a proper intro, but uh, so tickled to have you here. Thank you for making time for us. It's a big deal for us and uh, we appreciate it. it greatly. Thank you. Our AlphaCast uh, Alpha guest for this episode, James Tunney, left a successful academic career in law to focus on spiritual and artistic development. As a prolific writer within academia and working as an international consultant, James is noted for his presentations on the various aspects of globalization in many countries around the world. James has refocused his creative talents to an in-depth exploration into mysticism and scientism through his brilliant works to include his most recent publication, Plantation of the Automatons, Rule of an automa uh, Automaticity Loop, if I said that right, a uh, follow-up on his prior book, Human Entrance to Transhumanism. Transhumanism is a movement which aims to remake humanity through technology. In James' own words, quote, looking at the long imperial history of the plantation, we can witness the process that underlies progress towards global governance. The study language and practice of controlling plants has driven models of imperial development. We will soon live in a planetary plantation as we experience implantation. The objective of the plantation of the automatons is the utter control and management of human consciousness as part of a system in which those who are allowed to survive are mere conscious agents. On this timely not-to-be-missed episode, James will guide us through this dark but lamentably true agenda, but always have heart. Victory has always been assured for those who align on the right side of history. And I have James' book right here, uh, Plantation of the automatons. It is quite a tome. <laughs> I've been reading it uh, every morning. And I must say, James, as always, uh, you are so well researched and uh, your writing style is, um, I don't want to say Hemingway-esque, but it's just like a flow of consciousness that just kind of continues on. And it takes you through all these different avenues of interconnections and synchronicities in a way that is really breathtaking. Because you you pull from so many different sides of the equation, historically, spiritually, metaphysically, uh, uh, and so scientifically, uh, and all that. So props to you, sir, Bear Lando. Uh, been looking forward to this one for quite some time. Yes, James. Thanks again. Uh, really, really happy to have you here. And um, boy, our talk could go in so many different directions today, and there's never enough time with somebody like yourself. But uh, we'll just let it flow, see where we go. Um, I'd like you to help me out with uh, one thing first, though, if that's okay. And, and you know, uh, prior to this, even, you know, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself or folks that aren't familiar with your work. But uh, what I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around is this whole, um, this whole transhumanism thing. So there's a, a group of, um, I don't know what we call them, robotards or whatever on the planet that think they're going to do an end around their karma. And um, 
my understanding is that uh, our biology, of course, is a collective resonance of all of our embodiments. And then the whole purpose of re-embodiment is uh, try to make some better decisions to get off the karmic wheel and, and uh, you know, correct things. So if we're merging with machines, I'm just not sure how that resonance at the soul level can possibly translate into a machine uh, or... Um, in, in some people's minds, allow them to have immortality when, in fact, uh, you know, there's a much bigger game at play that obviously they are too arrogant or ignorant to uh, appreciate. So uh, let's maybe tackle that and you can give me your thoughts. And, and again, maybe just going a little bit about your background first here. But thanks okay. again for being yeah. with us. Yeah, great to talk to you. And uh, as I said, I feel I know you already from 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 your work, and I, I can understand where where you come from in many ways. And my background is I, I come from work and class area in Dublin. Um, I was always interested in, in politics because all my family were interested in politics, very very close up, going back to the revolutionary period, uh, going back for hundreds hundreds of years probably. And through the context, we saw the context of empire very close up. So when my father was born, he was born in the British Empire. Ireland was part. So uh, people should be, see how close things are historically. So I, I, I decided to study law, qualify as a barrister, studied law for seven years, got three degrees. Um, then I decided I'd, I'd, I'd go off to Spain to paint a little bit. I had a vision of uh, I was originally going to go to the south of France and I had a vision of paint, you know, living the life of Vincent van Gogh, etc. But uh, <laughs> I ended up uh, teaching English and painting. And eventually I decided to, I, I, I did consider going into the kind of uh, alternative, what was called alternative therapies and concentrating on some of the things like you have. And I did a course of massage as well, even on, on the way. But eventually I decided to come back to teaching, become a lecturer, senior lecturer, a visiting professor, international legal consultant and did all the things you do director of various or an organization uh, on advisory boards uh, participating and, and and working with international bodies advising groups like the united nations developing program etc all that kind of stuff doing a bit of work in places like lesotho or moldova uh, and then uh, when i had children i said okay it's, it's time to I thought it was good that one of us was at home with the, with the, with the with the with the children. Uh, so I, I took that job. So I left everything about the, the legal career, the whole lot, with the intention of focusing on the important things: uh, family, spirituality, uh, and art. So I was painting m most of the time, and having space, uh, concentrating on, on other people in this kind of little world, and. Out of the space, uh, a kind of mystical thing began to develop. The space came. So yeah, that channel opened up and I, I understood that I had to focus on this. And through those contexts, from the start, I got a very clear message that there was, uh, there was a certain failure of spiritual evolution. That, that was the start of a book I called The Mystical Accord. It kind of came in. So, and I began to reflect on that in a deep sense. So that all problems come from our failure to spiritually evolve. Initially, I thought that was too simple. And I, I fleshed it out again in an inspirational way. And the dark side was this, this religion of technology, this, this growth of or techne or whatever, technos, as I call it, as a kind of ideological religious perspective. And the implication of that is that this technological system 
uh, operate on a material level and on a supernatural level as well, uh, intends to take over the human being. Uh, and that, that, that's a, a, a short uh, run of it. Uh, and that's the context in which I began to, to write the book. The first a couple of books, one, Mystery of the Top Light, is about, uh, about the, our nature as light beings. Uh, the mystical accord is about a spiritual pattern that I believe is inherent in everybody. Tech bondage is about the fact that we're going to live in, in, in bondage to technology. And, and the bondage motif is very deliberate because there is a sadomasochistic bit about the, the governance system that we're going to face. Now, I agree with you about not getting fearful, but my picture of what's happening is, is very, very, is very, very, I'm not fearful. But one has to be very realistic. I'm not saying you're not, but uh, I, I don't sugar the pill when I'm explaining what I think is going to happen. We're talking about the end of humanity as we know it. And I, I can't put any simpler than that. And they have told us that that's what it is. So um, that's bad enough. I don't want people to lose sleep over it, but uh, it's a serious, it's a serious. No, I, I, I take your comments and, yeah. and I totally agree. You know, I've had some hair raising experiences and mm -hmm. seen uh, good colleagues and friends die and, um, you know, taken out yeah. within my own experience. So, yeah. So, yeah, these folks mean business. There's no doubt the, about the, it. The good thing coming from an Irish context is that you were brought, you were brought up with your breast milk, understanding that this was the world, this was the way the world was. That they were out, <laughs> the hanging men and women for the wearing of the green. This was, you know, so you were going to go to jail, uh, etc. Uh, and it, it really hasn't changed much. You know, I talking to my father's uncles that were in loads of jails, escaping from jails. Uh, you know, out involved in all those those stuff, and and uh, uh, things haven't changed much, and that can happen again. Um, so, um, so so now I'm concentrating on this message because what we have to do is get the analysis right first. And I know you talked to David Ike, and he said the same thing that if we don't get the analysis correct, anything else we do is wrong. And then you can you you can come to a situation where you listen to someone and you agree with. 98% of what they say and their analysis is correct and they may an analyze the whole thing but the 2% may be the critical that may, may be the, the difference so it's in the detail we have to distinguish between the analysis of the overall situation and then strategy and tactics to deal with it and, and, and sometimes people are talking about different things but we have to get the analysis correct um, so in relation to the point you make about immortality and uh, and that we have to remember or, or distinguish what's the objective what is the stated aim behind this thing so uh, i i think one of the, i think essentially it's a control mechanism that, that that's the first thing so it's it's not really it's certainly not a liberation mechanism and it, we sh we we could go back to the russian cosmos in, in the 19th century but really what happened and this is a bit related to what happened in ireland in ireland the war of independence with the my, father, my grandfather's generation and his brothers and, and, and that that was significant in relation to the british empire because they began to realize that if they were faced with a lot of urban warfare of the type and and and, uh, and flying columns like happened in, in the countryside in ireland guerrilla warfare on a on a, on a imperial level that would be very difficult to control so what happened associated with that period was there was a shift in the imperial strategy which built on uh, an, a notion of imperial science that had been 
that had been promoted by people like Thomas Henry Huxley. So people don't understand that uh, they were going beyond the scope of science to posit a new basis of empire. And that was like scientism, not proper science, but the application of science as an ideological force uh, using uh, scientific tools applied in an imperial context. So that began to happen in the 20s. Associated with that was a new idea of economics that was promoted in, in the particular 20s. And the idea of boom and bust was really, really created around that time, following on from the institutions that they had that had, that had marshaled to, to, to organize financial systems. But in the 20s, we had a particular, a particular focus and a particular growth of the idea of transhumanism. So it's not 1957 with Julian Huxley, who articulates the term where it comes from, it's really the 1920s. And this came out of uh, Fabian socialism, and it came out of that, uh, who were a kind of eugenicist movement, an imperial movement, uh, and a fundamental misanthropical view of the human. They don't like the humans. The humans uh, are only so good uh, as they can serve the system. And I associate with that was imperial ideas of breeding, uh, breeding animals, uh, breeding horses. This was part of it, and, and, and eugenics was part of that. But plants were critical in it, and plants and plantations had been the essence of empire. The imperial systems were based on obtaining plants, and whatever type. Cotton was hugely important for, for a thousand years in international trade, and all the other Columbus looking for spices, etc. We know that the, the world people forget about the, the power of plants, the significance of plants economically. And associated with that, the quest for plants gave sea routes, and the sea routes are the basis for the, the subsequent uh, underwater cables that began to be laid from the 1850s. And the underwater cable system is the network of the telecommunication system that is is implementing or creating this network of control. They 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 followed the sea routes. Uh, very, very significantly. So we had iterations of empire. So in the 1920s, what happened was we had a, a number of people, as this empire is looking for alternative ways, when they're beginning to understand that they can split the atom, and, and there's particular consequences associated with that, as, as a, they're, they're theorizing about this. And Churchill is thinking that that the human species is, is preparing itself to write a suicide note and after the First World War, they could see the power of the machine. It was obvious. And they had they were behind this, this effort to reduce the population and to destroy nation states uh, through the application of the machine. As well as that, a factor that people forget is that after every major war, they begin to understand that they can organize supply systems in different ways. You don't have to have a healthy economy. You can organize it in a centrally. So, so in, in the United States, this manifested itself in the technocracy movement, which was then developed through the technotronic movement with Brzezinski and that. And we, we see the correspondence between logistics and uh, international politics. And he's, his role is critical in relation to the, the overextension of the US in relation to Afghanistan, in relation to the, the transfer of technology to China, uh, critical role, uh, which which is only consistent, the only interpretation uh, one can make of that is it's inconsistent with the interest of the American people. It's only inconsistent with the movement towards global governance. That's the only 
you know, the only interpretation, similarly in relation to recent uh, adventures. But in the 20s in particular, it had started earlier with people like H.G. Wells. He is the, the real driving force. H.G. Wells, who, who writes the open conspiracy, then New World Order, and explains that we will have a new world order run by a scientific elite, which whose objective and the objective beforehand is to destroy uh, the family, religion, the na nation state, and they will they will form this uh, in, uh, this global government. He's a man that thought that Marxism was too, a bit too weak and it hadn't got sufficient planning, which was <laughs> therefore why he could meet Stalin and go and, and celebrate Stalin as the scientists did. So in nineteen in the nineteen twenties. H.G. Uh, Wells' theories uh, continue, and you had particular people like Haldane, you had Earl uh, Birkenhead, but J.D. Bernal is a key player, uh, born in Ireland, and his his key uh, expertise is in crystallography. Now, when and crystallography is their key technology of the future. So uh, I, I'll just say it again for other people that don't understand: the key technology is crystallography. That's what you, you have to focus on. Uh, in in its manifestations, uh, and J.D. Bernal, if you look at a lot of these crystallographers, they were kind of given, they were asked to, or, or the professor said, well, this is an area that we need to study, and, and the reason is because these uh, these interests were ancient interests that the establishment wanted. For example, they've always been interested in crystals, and new crystals were powerful. We go back to the founding of the the British Empire, allegedly inspired by John Dee in a magical ceremony in the Isle of Dogs in London, uh, where he and he was so so he conceived the British Empire, and he used his big library gleaned from the monks, uh, w w probably the basis for the navigation control of the seas, which the monks knew about. The monks knew about about these things. A lot of the intelligence and intelligence is a critical word, and he was. John Dee was 007, the original 007. Uh, John Dee was involved in, in secret agent uh, work. Intelligence also refers to beings of a different dimension that he contacted through crystals. He couldn't see them himself, but with Edward Kelly, he could, he could, uh, he could contact them. And intelligence, of course, is what they want to alter in human intelligence. So we have a, the, the, the word intelligence is very, very critical. Um, and, and that, that that's, continuing today we think of it in the broader perspective we see that they're all inherently uh they're all inherently linked so this fascination with crystals goes back to ancient times and a lot of major technologies associated with crystals lasers etc we we know that high technology is associated with light is associated with understanding structure and they they knew about certain principles with the development of x-rays, we had light or a type of light shone through crystals and we could see the internal structure. And that gave the technology to be able to, by interpretation of the fraction methods, to be able to determine the internal structure. So that's what they were all working on. So they worked on the same things they'd always been interested in. So if we look at J.D. Bernal, he's working on the structure of water, which the, the highest authorities in the United States are still working on. A lot of people don't understand that the highest scientists don't understand the structure of water yet and admit that there's no mystery there but a lot of people think oh it's h2o what more but again the uh, the idea of recombinant structures associated with different uh, contexts is, is critical to understand um so x-rays were, were critical including including the uh, the perception of liquid crystals which was found of course in the study of plants in relation to carrots and and, and cholesterol. 
So liquid crystals are a critical technology and they're not necessarily how people conceive of crystals because what, what, what is important about crystals is, is the underlying structure, but that can manifest itself in different forms. So Bernal is working on things like water and he's also working on graphite. You know, and these things are, so the basis of graphene, they're working on graphene, these things. Right. They know these things are, are critical. And there's other people working on, on technologies which are still of, very, of great interest. So they knew these were relevant and they weren't exactly sure. But if you look what they're focusing on, it's clear. So they were, lo they were looking at uh, chitin as well, or chitin, C-H-I-T-I-N. Um, and they were looking at that as well. And that, that's critical. And I explain why, why that is critical as well. So the, the things they were preoccupied in is revelatory of an ancient kind of interest of alchemy and sorcery and and the the powerful looking they know there's there's power in certain things whether from ancient technology or perception or magic or whatever they know these things are powerful and 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 they they work on them so bernal is is in the center of the group that leads to you know with, with craig Frick and watson and them uh, and uh, that leads to dna because they're looking for the structure of life they know that like there had been a theory in the 19th century, a heckle and others that that actually life was crystals. They, they thought there was life in crystals the way they formed. So that's why they were concentrating on crystals. And they knew that you could communicate with other beings through crystals. And we know that we can make crystal radios. We may have to do it again when they cut us off the Internet in the future, that these technologies are available uh, for us as well. So the, uh, the, the, they knew that, crystal, that the life was a crystal, and that's what Schrodinger had done, is what is life, and he conceived it as an aperiodic crystal, and then that was proved. And the people that worked on crystals, uh, they were the ones, uh, if, you, if you take Watson, who goes, who's, who's associated with Cold Spring Harbor, and they're continuing that into the brain context. Uh, so their interest in what is life it continues to understand what the brain context is because all of this is really the instrument and instrument of the imperial system and the final land that they want to con conquer is human consciousness so they they know that if they can manipulate and get into the crystalline structure of of, of the human that they can control it particularly through crystals that's that, that, that that's uh, a fundamental belief and of course that's associated with uh with resonance that you talk about i talk about coming into accord with things recognized environment i know you're interested in in uh, russell and, and light and and all those that th th they interact and complement uh with each other but bernal wrote his book the world of flesh and the devil you can see you can read it free on the internet i, I think it's uh, available in a number of contexts and he explains what he explains what the future is. So he's, uh, although he works for the British government in various contexts and during the war effort, he's essentially a Stalinist. So when Stalinist di Stalin dies, he writes a glowing a glowing tribute to th this great scientist because, of course, Stalin was trying to implement scientific socialism, and the connection with London is strong because uh, Lenin met Trotsky for the first time in London. It didn't meet, of course, in Russia, the same as, which we can come back to, the same as uh, Trotsky meets Stalin in Vienna. Uh, so we'll, we'll come back to that because it's an interesting connection with, uh, with, with Steiner. So, he, so he, he lays out what the future is. The future is the changing of the human body into silicon. 
just it's just the way it's going to be uh associated we're going to have ectogenesis so this was it was a bit inspired or, co or corresponding with Zamyatin and we the Russian book which had been translated into English but this was what they had decided that the body was going to be turned into a, a non-biological form into, into silicon and the immortality comes from that context rather than anything else in in, in their brain uh, and if you didn't go along with this thing if you didn't want to well then you would live in a human zoo and you would be experimented upon uh, and he said very very clearly that scientists, uh, their curiosity would outweigh their humanity, uh, and that the scientific corporations would take over the world by stealth, uh, and that uh, they take over the world by stealth, and they would develop a space exploration program to allow them to get off the Earth. Obviously, I think they planned to make a mess of, of the Earth, but in that context, and of course, their intelligence, they could they, they could magically improve it. In that context, we see the basis of the policy that has been pursued. Uh, and those elements are giveaways. So space exploration links to increase uh, intelligence and life extension. So that makes you, you have to then you have to test things like in a litmus test. There's certain figures that people, oh, I love Timothy Leary and I love uh, McKenna. And you say, well, hold on a second. Smile you know, the space exploration, increased intelligence uh, and life extension that subscribed to uh, basically by McKenna, even Robert Anton Wilson, great guys and all that, but really they're doing the agenda that has been laid out by the transhumanists. Taylor de Chardin, oh, he's great people, you know, a great person, a mega point, he's lovely, you know, and you say, well, hold on, he's, he's celebrated by the transhumanists. So you have to get very, very careful. And if you look at what they have told us in the in the uh, 1920s well then you would be able to interpret where elon musk stands in uh, in this for example uh, so you can't be you can't stand in in the whirlwind and interpret the uh, interpret what's going on without having having looked at the causes or a, a different with, with a bit of distance or parallax so from the 1920s a very interesting kind of psychopathology pathological issue because i mean i did we, we are dealing with people that are psychopaths as well this is a problem that people don't understand and there's a kind of there's a kind of gloating uh there's a kind of gloating aspect to their behavior and i, I see a strange one in this for example the the people that ran the emergency response in britain during the covid the acronym was sage okay sage was there you know this is scientific advisory group on emergencies the nickname for jd bernal this 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 monster was the sage it's quite incredible people spotted it like c.s lewis and he in that hideous strength he he's he's adumbrating an idea of scientists taking over the world they've already taken over the university it's nothing got to do with the french structuralist in america but it, it, it was it would be begun by the x club with Thomas Henry Huxley and Tyndall, another uh, crystallographer, who were following the scientist. The first scientist was William Hewell, who used the term in 1833 to distinguish it from natural philosophy. He was also a crystallographer. And they moved away from Goethe. And, and you must be interested in Goethe from your interest in plants. And I know that the communication with plants, and this is the Goethean idea that Steiner developed. 
And that was broken away from because Coleridge was was into that, but they didn't want that. They wanted a science which was utilitarian and focused and uh, uh, goal driven. So that mentality is utterly consistent going back in, in the in the what's called the philosophical breakfast club with Hewell and with Babbage, uh, the, the designer, the, the father of the computers. They were following on from Francis Bacon. Francis Bacon, of course, in New Atlantis explains he wants this scientific elite, essentially secret gathering intelligence for these scientists that can run the world. And he's also, he's, he writes in 1625 on plantations, with plantations as critical technology and critical philosophy and a critical strategy. And Huxley writes about plantations. So he, his view of the garden is not just a nice little garden, it, it's part of the imperial structure. What you do is, you put your people in, you change the environment to suit them. So you don't do what C.S. Lewis argues that you do in the Tao. When he writes about the, in the abolition of man, he says there's a conflict between two views. One is this view, which seeks to dominate nature. The other view is, in all the perennial traditions, is to seek to, to abide by the Tao, to come into being, to, you, not to dominate it. So the Baconian method, as developed through this imperial scienti scientific uh, perspective as developed through particular technologies associated with particular industries, the armament industries going back to ancient times, going back to the Romans, as developed through Venice in the arsenal, the first kind of mass system of production, not got to do with Henry IV, there was always armament developed up through, uh, through wars, through the American Civil War, through the growth of the uh, the military-industrial complex in the United States, continuing, experimenting through the First World War, experimenting through the 20th century, going out in foreign wars, bringing the technology home to apply to its citizens, uh, using the surplus profits uh, through scientific research to develop a higher level of research, uh, helped by people like Van Iver Bush and the scientific research mechanism in the United States, all geared towards developing a mass technology of control. So. The, the, they don't have to go the whole way of transferring us into silicon. They only have to set up a, a, a network of low-level control of our daily lives in order to implement, and then the, they penetrate in, into the human consciousness. They only have to penetrate in, in a way by using a prosthesis, like, the, for example, the 60s, of course, in my view, it's not really about music and about Woodstock and about it's about the the contraceptive pill that's that's the drive a driving technological force so the contraceptive pill is a prosthesis which stops something happening in, in the body I'm not saying anything against it I'm just saying in relation to it, its effect and that that has a liberating role an experimental role along with the psychedelics which is an important aspect of prosthesis so prosthesis is a critical idea of transhumanism the idea that we can add something to the body to achieve a function or to suppress a function Rudolf Steiner said that there would be suppression of the spirit. So they only have to begin to interfere with the body by gaining a, a, gaining a foothold, as they do, by, by sending out the first expeditionary force into the land of our, of our consciousness, by coming in. And they can do so by making us dependent on the network. And the network is the key idea. So the idea is, as in Star Trek, that you will be assimilated. Resistance is futile. Make you dependent. Digital currency can't do anything. You have to come through this portal. And then we say, okay, well, we need for this functional thing to, to work, we have to come inside your body. A little chip, 
uh, or surreptitiously put it in for um, for security gra grounds come into your body some liquid crystal some nanotechnology the only prosecution in relation to wuhan in the united states that i can see was charles lieber and he wasn't prosecuted for anything got to do with COVID. he was prosecuted for not declaring his transfer of technology to wuhan and what was the technology he was famous for it was nanotechnology transistors that could be inserted at a cellular le level into the body a v-shaped uh, transistor uh, on a nanoscale and we know so obviously that has been that has been sent to china surprise surprise and they're telling us that they have done that and this technology will be very very hard to detect so whether this is in us i got a lot of people contacting me and they're saying, I think I have something in my body. Now, I can't tell whether I do. I'm in no position, so don't contact me. I think we will have to get good in the future at being developing countermeasures to be able to identify whether there are foreign objects in the human body. And that's what some the good scientists should be working at at this stage, to develop countermeasures to be able to identify whether, in a diagnostic way, whether people have foreign objects in them, and also to be able to interpret what kind of broadcast signals are broadcast. For example, uh, there is a, 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 a plenty of evidence, if we, if we think back at California in, in 73, 74, Robert Anton Wilson began to get broad, you know, mystical experiences. Uh, Philip K. Dick got his mystical experiences. But we know that there was the CIA and others were doing experiments in places in, in California, for example, as well. So there's, there's another uh, dimension to that. Philip K. Dick wondered about this, but uh he, there's evidence that uh, his suspicions were, were were correct so of course california is critical california was the bridgehead as the empire shifted to the west coast it was the extension of the anglo-american atlanticist uh, empire atlantis bacon and california is critical the home of the modern military industrial complex and the information technology context comes from there because it's a spin-off from the military context it's there's been books anticipating this explaining that most educational technology equipment comes from uh, the military industrial uh, context uh, and you can see that in the universities it's become militarized it's been run and centralized basis is one another reason why i got out california was critical in relation to going all across the pacific the navy is always critical in the extension since the time of john d in relation to extending uh, world control because it was the, the seas were important which explains interest in the antarctic the whole atlantic why margaret Thatcher would fight over falklands uh, etc and then of course from california you can uh, you, you can uh, work on japan uh, china uh, etc and extend control so i argue that the basis of global governance is this anglo-american atlanticist base which has been it's not got to do with the english people the british people the protestant people the white people and it's got to do with a core a, a core power order which i trace back to the to france uh which was which was which was the site of most battles in, in world history uh the norman the norman power which i believe was an iteration of the roman power which also took over the catholic church because the celtic christianity before that was utterly different uh the, but they were the ones that took over when they come when the normans come to ireland in 1169 the normans are catholics who are saying that there's barbarians in ireland although the irish were the ones that had spread catholicism to europe mm -hmm. you know so then they found these wonderful works 
they found the ancient texts and they, they weren't able to explain them on the basis of their, you know, treating the people as animals. So they said they were made by angels. They couldn't have been made by the people that were there. They were so barbaric, you know, although these barbaric people had developed, for example, I'll give you this example, because people have to learn that Christian history of the West as well to understand things that I was listening to a very good analysis from a, 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 a Muslim group in relation to the satanic force. And it corresponds with what other people said, what Steiner said, although they said that uh, human rights didn't come to the West until the 1960s. And I was, I was thinking, well, hold on a second. Uh, if you go back to 697, uh, the Irish monks uh, had a, an international conference and they published a, 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 a group of rights a, on the protection of the vulnerable in times of war on women and children in 697. Okay, that was so, so, that, so that was quite early. So the idea that they were doing so because they had come from a Druidic tradition. Uh, I, I've talked about Columba. Columba is a critical, a critical factor. Uh, the and this this is the last point to, to understand about. Where, where the history comes from in Europe that people don't understand. If you read, associate with the 1920s, you have Gramsci, and Gramsci says, Gramsci is continuing on from Trotsky and says, look, uh, we can't take over, we, communism can't take over the world if we have Catholic opposition. So we have to attack the Catholic Church, and, and that has to be an objective. It, it, it's crystal clear. And they've been very successful on true policies of entryism, for example. So, for example, in various churches, in Europe, the church, the whole church has been taken over by people who have no interest in, 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 in the divine things of any sort. So, I mean, you're not actually dealing with what you think you're dealing with. Um, but uh, in the year 536 and 540, and this, this is important in, in my perspective, um, they had, the Christians had come to Ireland. Uh, Steiner said that they could understand, we'll come back to that, but they could understand what happened at Golgotha uh immediately that it happened because the mystery schools were in tune with the etheric uh, dom domain but in 536 a number of volcanoes went off around the world and scientists uh, and i've been, been in touch with one of the scientists who has done the work but th there's no doubt about this and this was the start of the dark ages in a real sense because the skies were covered and this was really the end of the roman empire it was it, it led to changes of empires all around the world, including in Mexico. And the uh, same thing happened in 540. So there was a series of volcanoes. Uh, the ones in Iceland went off. So you must have been able to see, see things associated with that in Ireland and, and in Scotland. And the, out of that, we have Columba. And he, he's the one that develops the Celtic cross. And what that symbolized was that the old gods weren't working, the Druids, the power was lost. This is my reading of it. So what they did was they united the Christian thing with the previous Druidic thing, but they didn't give it up. So that's why you have the symbol of the cross and the sun around it. So it was a syncretism. So they had extreme, fantastic knowledge of plants. They had fantastic knowledge of navigation. They seemed to have sailed to the to, to the uh, United, what became the United States, possibly down to the Caribbean. They, it's now accepted that in recent studies that, that they got to the pharaohs first, they probably got to Iceland first. So they were totally different from the idea of 
that people have of, of monks and the technology of the stars and knowledge of the stars, of plants, of other beings. If you read the life of Columba, you will see that he was communicating with light beings and with other, it, it's quite incredible. It's, not, it's nothing got to, to do with the image that people are broadcasting of, of Christianity. And I'll give you an example of how this continues today, that it's a real thing. It's not, there's a place in, in Permana, I think, where people used to go to the priest's grave. They used to go to the priest's grave uh, for a cure. And what you did was you brought a spoon and you took out the soil and you brought it home and you put it on whatever on your head or whatever the problem was. But you had to bring the soil back and put it in the, in, in the priest's grave. And the evidence is that the Druids were working there for in that, in that place, going back hundreds of years, thousands of years. So the Druids regarded it were doing things there. And this folk knowledge continued. So when the church came, the church didn't in many contexts context disestablish what was there they integrated them therefore the priest was associated with with this power as you have a lot of holy wells in ireland but there was a a, a person a scientist there's also james there's also proof that joseph of arimathea came over with mary there's this whole uh concept of that there's, there's a whole uh, another theory on that yeah yeah i could i could uh, i could talk on that but just finish this point so this scientist recently went and studied what was in the soil and and he identified a type of uh, streptomyces in the, in, in the soil. And in preliminary tests, it could kill seven out of 10 superbugs. So they're trying to uh, well, obviously appropriate the, the knowledge from that. But, there, but the point, And science will take, probably take the credit. But the point is, they knew about these things. They didn't have to have the same names. They knew about these things. And these things, were, these things worked. And they had that knowledge of the soil and, and of the land and of the plants uh, and in the early church they integrated it so the so a lot of the gardens and you're talking about the physic garden uh, uh bear you're uh, and the physic garden was in all the all the monasteries the monks knew about this and they developed uh, well they, they brought latin back because they were the only ones skilled in, in latin and also greek uh, and they developed like the book of kells using using chemical preparation from plants that produced this incredible technology, which looks like it had to be produced with, you know, with, with high optical devices, but they they could do it. And, and those, the book, like, like the Book of Kells produced by, by uh, from Iona, where Columba went to, uh, that was an inspiration for people like James Joyce and, and influenced ideas uh, behind Joseph Campbell. So they, they, they were, they exercised a, a powerful imaginative role from their, being rooted to the earth and being rooted to the spiritual domain. Uh, so all those things have been obscured. All those things have been eradicated and are continuing to eradicate. There's, there's, a, there's a continued effort now, for example, to deny all this in, in Ireland, to, to regard it as ridiculous. Uh, people are losing the spiritual context, are losing that contact with the land because you need to do that. You need to break that connection in order to implement this final rootless stage where the, whereby people are linked to machines, where they are demeaned and dispirited. And the whole process of transhumanism that developed through this, uh, from the Reformation in particular, from the, 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 the wealth of knowledge they got through people like John Dee, through the uh, Baconian method, through the colonization method, through the uh, these guys in the 1920s, through the tobacco industry, 
the study of the tobacco mosaic virus from which modern viral, viral, virology comes from in many senses because they're, they're, they want to, to study this virus in order to be able to protect their assets. And that leads to a situation today uh, through the growth of science, cybernetics after the Second World War to the Ratio Club in, in Britain, the Macy Conference, whereby they get all the different disciplines together in order to say, well, how can we implement this control of the individual? Cybernetics means governance. The governance, the new world was a term used to refer to the internal person in the 18th century, not just the new world of, of conquest. So the new world they're going for is the new world in your body, the control of your body. Uh, and that's probably a short answer to your original question. Sorry for going on so long. No, that, that was brilliant. Thank you for that. And and of course, that leads us to all sorts of medical procedures that roll up your sleevers that people are getting now to, um, you know, uh, make people more amenable to, uh, you know, be more receptive to certain broadcasts that are not, uh, you know, in our best interest. You know, I have a just maybe a, a possibly a fun anecdote with the crystal end of it. I had a um, a very close association for an extended time with uh, we'll just call him an indigenous shaman, and he yeah. uh, was a real deal from a you know centuries old lineage, and um, a, a lot of uh, amazing experiences with that. But one of the things he related to me, and by the way, uh... oh, we got the. Uh... Are you still here with us, James? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We thought this might happen. We got the satellite freeze. Give him a second. He'll pop back. Uh, am I back? There he is. You came. Okay. You're back. Where did I lose you? Just um, after. You, you were just at the start of the story about the indigenous person and the lineage. It was about okay. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. Mm. Um, so he um, was a the spiritual leader or elder of the Native American contingency at that time, you know, and, and a lot of recognizable names I saw that were all associated with him, which surprised me at the time, uh, the more I got to know him. So he related a story to me where they sent a convoy into the uh, Oval Office to greet President Reagan at that time and presented him with a, uh, a very precious emerald that stayed on uh, Reagan's desk for the length of his tenure in the Oval Office. And it was, in fact, programmed to be a receiver. So they were, you know, flies on the wall for everything that happened <laughs> during that time. So anyway, wow, kind of fun. That's um, amazing. And uh just just maybe to balance things out that uh, other folks are living uh, using uh, crystallography and real technologies uh you know to counterbalance what some of the other folks are doing but um so of course what we're all wondering now is how far down the road are we <laughs> are we uh past the point of return uh you know just your thoughts on that uh nearly is the short answer um mm -hmm. just to, to to corroborate that the Monks as well understood about quartz and calcite, and I believe that's what they use for navigation. The Vikings certainly did use sunstone and depolarized light, so they knew about this technology for, in relation to finding out where they were, and that's where, what, why they had the confidence to get in a boat and travel up to, even under uh, dark skies. So they knew about this technology, and the Celtic cross also represented, according to, to, to one theory, a, a navigational device that they, they they had as well. So so there's all kinds of symbolism, and in this symbolism there are messages uh, for us today. Um, there's there's a, there's a number of different dimensions to us to it. I don't know if you've ever seen the film Rhinoceros, 
uh, which is based on a play by, it was a silly film. If you saw it, you probably would have turned off, but it had Gene Wilder. It was, and it's an odd film, but it was based on a play by a Romanian who had experienced the Nazis and the communists. And uh, he, he wrote this, uh, about, explained this idea of rhinoceritis. It was whereby people turned into rhinoceroses. <laughs> uh, and he used this to indicate what happens in a totalitarian state where all of a sudden the person that you thought was a person becomes a, a different being and they want to act in a different way. And, and, and it, it, was a perfect, it was a perfect description of what happened recently. So we're dealing with this problem that it's very, very easy to get people to go along with it, with an idea, and they don't realize how they are subjected to so much black magic uh, when they, when they expose themselves to the media and to the television. They, they do not understand that they are under a spell. They do not understand that they are hypnotized. So that that that's a major difficulty. We have to develop techniques. I, I don't know, did, Bear. Did you do martial arts? If I'm not mistaken, were you? Yeah. Yes, so, I still do it. Yeah. yeah. So what we have to do is begin to think in a, in a, in a non-violent way in relation to real techniques that work and techniques that can break this spell as well. We really have to up our game to, to, to be applied in this kind of, because it's a big problem when the, rhino, when the person becomes a rhinoceros, you know, you can't talk to them, as they say in the play, but I mean, it, it, it's quite uh, amazing. So there's, an, there's, there's, there's this black magic that in relation to the media that Gunter Anders in particular, who was the uh, son of William Stern and was, was uh, married for a while to Hannah Arendt. He saw that in America in particular and wrote about the 50s and the obsolescence of man. He understood how powerful television was. A lot of people don't see television as powerful, but television is really powerful. And early on in, well, in the 70s, I came to a conclusion about the the hypnotic power of television by talking to a, a stage hypnotist and having long conversations about uh, hypnosis and the power of it. And I, I came to a conclusion that, uh, that, that it was capable of mass hypnosis. And, and he was very clear on that as well. And you can see it in the work of W.B. Yeats and Magic and his essay in 1901. So that's 120 odd years ago where he's describing what, how magic works. And magic is based on the power of symbols. And people don't understand how, how symbols work. And these symbols, in a positive way, can connect you to the higher beings, but in a negative way, they can control you or connect you to beings that you don't want to be connected with. So I believe there's a big problem in relation to people being under a spell. And that's a, that's a huge problem. It can't be underestimated. So the assumption of normality that you make is a big, is a big problem. It's not really there. And people are programmed. And... I haven't had a television. For, we, don't, we don't have a television. We never had one here. Uh, but uh, I don't have to watch television if I want to know what the agenda I can talk to certain people. And the same thing if I go to Ireland or England. And certain people will repeat the messages to the media. They, they will repeat the program to me. It's quite, it's quite incredible, uh, but un unfortunate. So people don't understand what have been and how far down they are and how willing they are to sell their soul. So, so my point. It's not just about the fact of losing, uh, losing power over, over your body and mind. And actually, there is a, uh, there is, we have to look again at, at, at some of the old religious notions. For example, I, I refer to Jesus in, in the Bible when he says, ye are the salt of the earth. What does that mean? Uh, it means that he's referring to the, to the fact that we're, we're liquid, we're crystals. 
it's a crystal it's a crystal image but you can lose your saltiness you can lose the the form or the content of consciousness and he goes on from that to say but be a light onto the world and the light shines through you the same exactly description of the x-rays and, and the crystal structure so yeah we are crystals in form but that's not what who our nature is the light is the nature and and this is a, uh, this is in all the traditions but we don't know who we are we're getting divorced from nature we're dragged into the technosphere it's getting they're trying to drag us out of nature everything associated with this the fake environmental movement is to drag us into the technosphere all these people supposedly interested in nature want to put up uh, a mass network of mechanical forms across nature that kills beings as john c lilly predicted in the creation of a solid state entity which describes all this uh, context this network integrated that we won't be allowed to go, this will suck all the resources into it all these you've know, gone back to diesel cars electric cars they're sucking all the resources out of the air transforming uh, it into a silicon nickel and iron machine which can incarnate a beast or an extraterrestrial force that's what john c Lilly said um so everything is going ahead if we don't even realize that we're not in a position in order to to deal with it so i i, I encourage people like going off grid but there won't be anywhere off grid now when with all these satellite systems are up and being in places uh, like Facebook and Dublin and, and seeing what you know the the way the, the, their plans and things like that you you, you say well okay th there's only one where this is going it's going where Arthur C. Clarke told us because he was taking the baton from from these guys uh, and uh, he predicted merger of man and machine uh, humans and machine through the telecommunications network uh, being critical in that and it was all designed to create this technosphere uh, based on a hatred of, of humanity and a hatred of nature they don't like nature They're, the transhumanists are saying this now we want to do away with biology people don't understand how deep this is you know to to um, cover paradise with a parking lot is a real it's a real thing they will do this they will destroy everything in, in, in this context the green movement i believe is really a description of a greenhouse movement it's to put a human which they always regard as a plant into a greenhouse this is the crystal palace that dostoevsky uh, understood when he went to the great ex exhibition and he says well he, he realizes that this great manifestation of imperial technology is really baal it's baal uh, the, the ancient uh, demonic or god force whatever so he understands that so this connection has been there uh, from the start and steiner steiner develops that um, I think we're on on the edge, and we're on the edge of. See, see I, I I don't mind losing my life. Uh, I don't I don't I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about the next life. But all you have to have, all you have to do is, as C.S. Lewis talked, go down this the, the kind of soft, gentle slope to hell, and you could be in a type of hell, whether you believe it in or not, in the next life because you haven't in a, you you've gone into a a dark you've given up your individuality you look at people like Gurdjieff and that they say you have to develop your etheric body in the, in this evolution you, you can't be passive about that if you succumb this is the Faustian pact with Mephistopheles if you give up your your human nature your spiritual nature for a burger as, as Bill de Blasio wanted you to do you know the, the, then 
there is a there is a karmic consequence of that. So uh, we're getting to the stage where humanity is coming to an end, as we know, if they make this intervention. And each individual is now facing facing historic threats to their lineage. So you, of course, incorporate all the physical beings and spiritual beings going back. And you have, a, in my view, you have an obligation to that, all those people that were there before you, all those people. In it. But now you can give that up because of a bit of propaganda, a bit of uh, jiggery-pokery that can, that can change our mind. I think we're in a, in a perilous position. Uh, now, that doesn't mean there's not hope there, but if we don't realize what the issue is, uh, well, then it, it, it will, we're, we're going to a, a hellish place. And I believe also, a lot of people don't believe in kind of demons now. I believe you're going to be seeing them uh, on the earth. They're going to manifest. Uh, you, you're not going to believe in, you're not going to disbelieve in evil uh, soon enough, unfortunately. Uh, and uh, a, a bit of me, uh, you know, uh, that's just the way it is. Uh, don't don't say that to scare people. But uh, if you don't believe in these things, I think we're going to we're going to find out that the spiritual teachers were telling us the truth about these things. So, in all cases, if you concentrate on seeking to live a life in a spiritual ethical way. And you stay close to nature as, mu as much as you can. You're not going to have that fear. You're not, not going to have that fear because you're you're filled up with that relationship and that interrelationship and that relationship with others. So the fear and losing fear is a, is associated with that belief in your spiritual consciousness. So once people begin to do that like like that, then that fear is not going to work on them. I'm not saying there's not fearful situations out there, but Death is not the worst thing that, that, that you know, uh, a coward dies, a brave man dies, but once and the coward dies a, a thousand times. Uh, there's, 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 there's that philosophy going back to our variants, going back to Shakespeare. So I think we're, we're in a very, very perilous situation because we've been so acquiescent, so cowardly, so lacking in courage, so lacking in awareness of, our, of ourselves so unwilling to contribute in our own lives to the discourse, so unwilling to stand up for what we should know is right, uh, so unwilling to, to say one thing is, is what it is, There's to, to call a spade a spade, to be led, to be able to be led to a situation where we're gaslighted on a mass scale, millions of people. I, 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 there is a hope that these psychopaths say, oh, well, it's a bit boring here. These people are giving up too easy. There's no fun in it, you know, because we have been pathetic uh, in relation to our response. So I'm not optimistic about where we are now. I'm hopeful, but that's what the turning point is. So uh, last point, uh, once I nearly drowned out, when I, a guy was supposedly showing me how to go on a bodyboard and he got into difficulties and I ended up without a bodyboard, out on the rip. Well, I know what the, the rip current is now. <laughs> I was out between big waves and I was out in the middle of these a glassy U-shaped U-shaped wave way out and couldn't see the shore and the wave crashing over me and I'm saying, oh, what a fool, you're going to die here, you, you dope. And then, of course, uh, when you maintain your, your calm as you should be able to do when you're doing some of these practices uh, and then you resist the temptations to go under when the sweet voice says, oh, give up, it'll be easy, give up, let go, let go, let go. 
and, and then as you know then you can start swimming you can't swim against the thing that has brought you out it's impossible but then the natural loop goes around and and, and you can you, you can swim back so we're at that stage so we can either continue out to sea try and swim against that big wave coming to us or begin to use our own resources to get to get back to shore yeah you know when i ask are we at the point of no return uh i personally don't want to return and <laughs> i think we have a very um a clear choice and i think that's what all this experience is about and you know you can uh you know be absorbed into the borg or learn how to um get control of your own vehicle and yes. and that's where we're at and not everybody's up for it not everybody's no. ready uh you know and you know maybe the perfect experience is to be absorbed into the borg it's none of my business no. but no. Uh, all these experiences i think are playing right into the hands of the people that are ready to move on so uh, i don't i don't look at it in desperation at all and you know you no. mentioned martial arts all that's about is uh uh, learning how to reprogram your own neurology yes. uh, to the point where nobody else can do it for you. So uh, clear choice. And that's why I think it's the best at times, but boy, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting moving forward here. You know, we talk uh, yeah. a little bit about Steiner, maybe that's a good segue, uh, you know, and yeah. get in, into him here. And when yes. you understand these, um, these innate forces within all of us and how they are, uh, you know, uh, a microcosm we'll say of the, of the larger realm, whatever you want to think of it as um, it really helps us understand, uh, you know, just as far as how forms you mentioned Goethe and plants and, and, you know, the, and the same thing with our human form, it really starts to make sense so far beyond what scientism is trying to tell us, but yes. in there, are those very secrets that allow us to, uh, you know, understand that we can harness uh, these forces ourselves and have a lot to say about it. So yeah. um, uh, anything you'd like to, you know, bring up as far as maybe the role Steiner played, uh, interesting guy, you know, I don't idolize anybody. I think there's been luminaries throughout time. Uh, Steiner's been one of my teachers early on. Uh, I, I got together with a very renowned uh, German composer, conductor, and he at the time was the uh, premier Steiner teacher. Uh, and again, that was like in the early 80s or so. And so he took me under his wing and, and he had a whole uh, uh, amazing sound studio with instruments he collected from all over the world, big, huge gongs and everything. So I got into sound therapy and really got into the whole understanding of resonance through him. And uh, just at the time, uh, it was very instrumental in my development as a practitioner of the healing arts to uh, really delve into Steiner. And then from there, you know, it led me to other people, uh, other understandings. But Steiner was very, uh, very fundamental in my development. Um, yeah. Um, and yes, it's, and it's important as well. That we take control and you gave a perfect example in relation to the emerald uh, that native people indigenous people know about these things we have to recover that because it's been obscured and uh, they always paint the ancient people as as ignorant they they had high technology it's it's clear and they knew about technology and there's examples or there's, there's speculation about that in relation to 
biblical stories about Solomon, the Ark of the Covenant, etc. But I, I think that so we have to recover those things that are there and explore them. And Steiner talks about the body being crystals that could crystallize and, and just maintain a, a balance between them. So uh, before I forget as well, another sound is going to be crystals are important. Sound is critical. And the dominant idea, I think, in the next in, in the recovery will be of implosion. The implosive techniques are, are, are the one of the ways with the vortex, but the implosive techniques, the implosion will describe what is happening in society and in, in a dark way that the, the Western uh, Judeo-Christian thing is imploding. And I think people are making a mistake. They're pulling down the supports, you know, with gusto. They're not understanding that some of these things were there for good reasons, like Chesterton and Spence. So they're pulling this away. Say, we, we don't need this. We don't need this. And unfortunately, they're going to discover. But Schauberger, as you know, in relation to water, and uh, he was on the right lines in my in my perspective. So the, uh, as you said, resonance, which I, I, I call a chord in the spiritual uh, domain, uh, and uh, sound going back to the, the logos and the creation of the universe as in all, all mythical traditions. And in relation to specific techniques that we have to understand, implosion. And implosion can be the uh, the mechanism or the idea that can, that can work in relation to collapsing these systems uh, uh, as they happen as well. So also we have to apply the ideas because what we can talk about the organizational context about about how people are going to organize themselves but uh, i'll come back to that but implosion is a critical idea so so some of these guys have given us the prompts to as you said to find out the next time and we have to also look at how plants do these things and learn more from the basic propositions about plants how do plants solve these problems and they can talk to us and and, and give us uh, through the doctrine of signatures that Burma talked about, going back to another critical thinker. But I, I heard you talking uh, recently about uh, Steiner. And did you have something there to show us? Oh, I was just, um, here's Geerta. Oh, yeah, yeah. brilliant. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's a, a brilliant one for anybody that. Uh, that was the title was The Metamorphose of Plants. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, you were talking about Steiner recently. I heard a bit of, uh, uh, and I wanted to contextualize where Steiner fits in, in relation to Golgotha. Uh, mm -hmm. And this is critical because, uh, and that's why I, I was doing a talk on, on, on this, the mystery of Golgotha. That's why I have this picture behind me. It's a mm -hmm. reference to, or a sample from the taking of Christ by Caravaggio, uh, the betrayal uh, by Judas. And of course, this is the Judas, we're in the Judas phase, that, that, that what will happen, the human body and the people are being betrayed by their political class. And this is this hasn't happened throughout history, because I know from involvement in politics, it happened in this generation. There is a generation that has taken over. So we have the, the Judas the Judas kiss. Beside her is, is a, a reference to the Isle of the Dead by Bachmann, which was the most popular print in the 19th century. It was Hitler's favorite painting. Lenin had a, had a picture of it. So this is their idea of the afterlife of being taken over on a, you know, to, to, to some physical place. So it, it's kind of revealing. But Steiner, he gave a lecture in Vienna in 1913, just about the time he's gone back to Dornoch. And he was in Vienna. And it's very, very interesting that in Vienna at that time was, was Trotsky, Stalin, Tito, and Hitler. And they all 
uh, went at some stage to Cafe Central. So it's possible that Steiner could have, you know, uh, could have crossed paths with these people. And he was he was trying to advocate an idea based on a reinterpretation of Christ, for example. So you can see that it's not a real winner when you have people like Hitler and Stalin who were informed by the Nietzschean Superman, by a, by a perverse idea of, of science on both sides, both cases, extreme left, extreme right, are doing the same thing, a materialist devaluing conception of, of, of the individual uh, and a hatred for, for the other. So Steiner was, was going middle path. Yeah, no problem with that, middle path. Uh, and uh, so that's the milieu he's in. A lot of people think of Steiner, you know, and kind of, you know, meditating out. And, uh, but he's in the thick of this nasty kind of dark forces right in the heart of it. And he can perceive it. He can sense it. He can see it. He can hear it. And he wants to oppose it. So that, that's an important thing. So he gives a lecture in 1915 on Christ, Lucifer and Arima. Okay. So. Where does he give this lecture on Christ, Lucifer, and Ariman? He gives it in Linz, near where Hitler was born. Interesting. It's, it's remarkable. And so he gives this lecture on Christ. So to explain to people, he, he, he did this, this sculpture, the representation, representative of humanity, which explains his idea on a spiritual level. He believes, before that, he believes that what happened at Golgotha was that divine solar force, divine force incarnated in order to restore balance, to create a channel, continue the mystery traditions, the previous ways of moving to higher consciousness. And he changed the etheric world. He's not going to come back. He's on the etheric, etheric plane. And he believed that other cultures, like in Ireland, could the mystery schools could perceive that the world had changed. It was about consciousness and that it was necessary to, to, to come to Golgotha had been predicted. Uh, and that was what it was about. It was, about, it was for everybody. It was against religion. He's against all the rules in many senses. It's about consciousness, about individuality, consistent with what Jung said that the Christian thing was, was about the individuation uh, or Ivan Illich. So, so, so that's what he's talking about. So it's not orthodox, it's not standard uh, Christianity, but it's critical uh, on an esoteric plane, an eso esoteric Christian uh, context, and, and no less powerful for that. So in his sculpture that he worked on for a number of years with uh, Edith Marion, and it's in Dornoch, he has his figure of Christ. So this is a spiritual level. So the figure has a, his left hand up, a bear claw uh, uh, in, in the air. And this, this is a force which which uh, leads to Lucifer, who's, a, who's, a, who's an ethereal force, an airy force, a fire force collapsing because it can't stand it, although he's not doing anything to it. And underneath is Ariman, who's the force of the ground, the crystallizing force, the materializing force. So this is, he, he represents, that consciousness represents the mediation between these two opposing forces. One force, which is gaseous, that wants to disappear, that wants to form a constellation of atomic individuals that wants to move to an atomic state at a higher level, disembodied, and one which is a, a material, totally materializing force on the earth based on, on, on the original, but not necessarily on, on the Persian source that wants to turn us uh, into material. Now, in, in a contemporary context, the Araman re represents science, 
working through uh, the dragon, working through the network. The network is the name of this new connection, the World Health Organization. They're going to form a network. This is the new dragon, if you like, one, one of the dragons. Uh, so that's the Aramanic force, and we're going to move into the Aramanic force. It's going to be incarnated. If you want to speculate how it's going to be in, in, incarnated, well, obviously, the uh, telecommunication system is the ideal one to with artificial intelligence to, to lay the groundwork for what John C. Lilly, etc., uh, talked about. Or we could have the Aramanic force with the Luciferian force combined, displacing the human. So the Luciferian force... Uh, is a, a, a an ethereal force, and it's uh, it's. But the, he's talking in many senses. Although he's talking about supersensible beings, he's talking on forces which operate in our lifetime. So he, he believes that if you're eating the wrong kind of food and all that, and doing things that are not interested, the luciferic force can work through you. So it's it's in some way similar to an archetypal thing by Jung, but these are ontologically real forces. And so, so, so that that's he also has in his description in 1915 of the sculpture that he was going to make. He also describes that there's two other kind of beings in the picture to the right of Jesus that are not Lucifer and are not Ariman. He said a, a bat-like force and an eagle-like force. Now you can't really see them, but that's that's what he described. And it's interesting. The eagle becomes the the Nazis, and the bat is critical. The bat is critical. I, I'm not going to go into COVID, but there's bats involved in that. I am in my book, Ireland. I don't recognize who she is. I had Australian fruit bat virus before this thing. So, I mean, the bats are, are there. I'll give you another example of the relevant of the bats. And again, so there's something, you know, we're not talking about bats. Bats are great. If you leave them alone, let them get on with their lives, let them do their job. But it's when we interfere with them that uh, I saw hundreds of thousands of fruit bats when I was in Australia fly over the head. It's most amazing thing to see that beautiful thing but we shouldn't be messing and putting them in a cage and trying to torture them that's that's not what we should be doing another example of how messing around with bats i mean it's in the bible don't be eating the bats but another example of where bats uh were used if you like for a deleterious result the irish potato famine now a lot of people don't understand that irish people didn't want to grow potatoes potatoes are not indigenous to ireland they were imported from South America, of course, and they were forced. That was the only option available to people when the land was taken from them. So they had, it was the only thing they, they, they could grow. The famine came and a million people died and a million and a half people emigrated, whatever. What caused the famine? A pathogen uh, that was associated with guano from South America, which included bat droppings. It's quite, uh, quite amazing. So they just, they've traced it now, uh, they believe to Peru. So the bat connection was, was there again. It shouldn't have been importing this stuff from South America into this environment for that to deal with the, 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 the tubers that were imported. The people traditionally used seaweed to fertilize the land. They didn't, they didn't go to South America to get uh, bat shit. To, 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 but I mean, there's a connection again, strange thing. So, so these figures, we see it in Macbeth, the, 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 you know, the, the wool of the bat was used by the witches. So these these, there's a strange connection with some of these things. So Steiner is referring to forces that are, are, are there and are being used. So it doesn't surprise me that they're messing around with bats in relation to affect That's humans. There's a strange, super, yeah, the, strange uh, superstitious 
the cannabis uh, industry in uh, Northern California relies a lot on bat guano. Was interesting. We used to have a commercial nursery, so everybody wanted bat guano. It was a huge industry, but but if you look at the growth of it, it's it's it parallels very particularly the 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 famine. <laughs> anyway, I know it's very good for the soil and all that, but I mean, there's probably seaweed down the, down the coast that's much better that are used on on a. But uh, but anyway. So we understand this Christian Luciferian Aramanic force. And then some people say, okay, well, we want to go along with Ariman. We want to be machines. Uh, and some people want to be Luciferian. I, I'm sticking, I'm, I'm old fashioned. I'm sticking with, the, with the, the one in the middle. But they make a mistake in seeing that that is the end of the story, because that's not the end of the story in relation to his cosmology. And we have to go back to 1908, and where does he give this lecture, Rudolf Steiner? He gives it in Nuremberg. Oh, what a place to give to give uh, a lecture about the future, about the dark forces in Nuremberg. It's it, it's it's uncanny uh, in relation to the fact that the the Nazis started their mass rallies there from uh, 1933 uh, onwards. That was critical place for the dark dark force was in in, in Nuremberg. So in Nuremberg, he explains which he doesn't do in many other contexts. He explains the really evil force. So the really evil force is not actually Lucifer and Ariman. It's Sorat, the sun demon. So this is the, the, super, the super dark force. And this might be equated with some elements in theistic Satanism or in, in some elements of black sun or some elements that are, are, are there. So this is the dark force. This is a super intelligent dark force that has asuras that work through us. So this is utterly consistent with a, any conception of a satanic force. Now, I was listening, if you listen to some of the, um, the Catholic exorcists, for example, they say Satan and Lucifer are two different beings ontologically in the spirit world. And they, uh, another recent one is Father Ripiger, and he says that the demonic force is one force in three, which is Beelzebub, Satan, and Lucifer. So we have all this context. But Steiner had the thing totally consistent with most of the tradition. People are now forgetting that he had this dark force, and this dark force was going to be the force we had to oppose. These other forces were lesser, were subsidiary to uh, Sorat. And that it was there the Michaelic force being our consciousness activated would have to work. So, uh, so in many senses, he did predict what a, a number of people are beginning to understand now. And he, he did predict that this uh, supersensible domain was coming into and manifesting itself through technology and, and through science. So really... He stands. If people forget about that force, if they forget about his lecture in uh, uh, his lecture in Nuremberg, then they get a mistaken view of what the force is. Uh, and uh, he did really get that cosmology. Uh, well, now a lot of people don't believe in, the, in in those things. They don't believe that there is these uh, domain. I, I do. I don't have any problem with that. I've, I've no doubt that there is. Uh, loads of beings around us and the people that deny that they are often from the scientific community all their compatriots have been working with these things for for generations and are working with them so it's exactly a bit 
Well, and so Steiner, James, a lot of, I was just going to say a lot of people nowadays, I think, look at Steiner as a philosopher, a alternative thinker, a scientist, but he really was a mystic and he was going into places and seeing this and experiences them himself as Bear was saying, a true luminary. And that's a really important distinction. He, he was, he had psychic experiences from the time he was a, a boy and he could mm -hmm. perceive these things. So he could perceive these things on the etheric dimension. He's very good on understanding the significance of Ireland, which many other people don't do. And, and, and that's one thing that gives him credibility in my eyes, that he understood that Ireland was very significant, uh, far beyond the context that a lot of people understand for a long time in relation to the mystery traditions, in relation to the etheric domain so he understood that so he could obviously understand that on a different level because uh, he did go to england uh, but he didn't have experience of that so he could perceive things uh, at a distance and true throughout history uh, yeah. so can you uh speak a bit about the role of the theosophists you know at the time of steiner when they kind of uh i don't know if we say yeah. uh, parted or went in slightly different directions but what yeah. was their role in all this uh, the theosophists, uh, th there's a whole range of them, like people forget about people like William Judge from Dublin that went to America and broke off there. But there is a the big break, as we know, was associated with them going to India and the, the Bodhisattva question, the question about Krishnamurti and this boy and whether he was Maitreya and the Christ reincarnated. And that was the specific reason that led to uh, Steiner going from them. But Steiner had always maintained separation from the Theosophists. They invited him, but he still did his own thing. He had his own publishing, his own books. So he, they came to him. He wasn't integrated in them in some sense, although he built up their, their community from 300 to 4,000, 10 times, whatever, before, before they left. And a lot of them went with him. That, and he, was, uh, he worked with Annie Bazan, so it was after Blavatsky. Rene Guénon says that Blavatsky was not just non-Christian, she was anti-Christian. As a traditionalist, he, she wasn't interested in Christianity. Now, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a particular stream that people forget about that's critical. And Suzanne Marchand has done an academic book on German Orientalism and Empire. Now, in that book and in other articles she's written, she explains how Orientalism was critical to all German theory and philosophy, the whole lot of it. And ultimately, she believes that it destroyed Germany, this fascination with Orientalism. And Steiner was aware, Steiner perceived that before anyone did. He said, no, we have to, we have to focus on the Western tradition. This is the basis of our advance. And, and in the context of them finding, he didn't believe that Christ was going to be reincarnated. So uh, except in the etheric domain. So he didn't, he didn't believe this thing, the Bodhisattva question, as Krishnamurti kind of corroborated. And as a result, he, he did believe there would be a Bodhisattva uh, incarnated in his lifetime. Some people believe it was him. Some people think it was Valentin Thunberg. Uh, some people think it was Krishnamurti. But any, anyway, that was an obsession that the Theosophists had. But they, for, for Steiner, they didn't have the hermetic tradition. They didn't have the Christian Kabbalah uh, and Rosicrucian hermetic tradition that was the basis of a lot of his insight. They didn't sufficiently recognize elements that, that Goethe would have had on, and even his association with Masonic context that, that was specifically 
related to Western tradition, going back to well the the, the Mid East, if you like, and, and and including Egypt and that. So he saw this danger of 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 Orientalism. And then also Blavatsky had problems with spiritualism. She wasn't really into spirits and all that. So uh, he his his viewpoint uh, was much wider, and he believed that you had to integrate the the, the, the different elements. When he met Felix Kogushki and the, uh, the, the, who informed about plants on the train to Vienna and led to his lifelong understanding of the tradition of plants because of the culture of plants, like a kind of Gandalf figure who he talks to on the train. He was obviously a sociable chap. And that led to his understanding that there was this knowledge that was forgotten about in Europe, right at the heart of Europe. So what he was saying is that, well, actually in Europe, this tradition that we have, and including in places like Ireland, was of the highest tradition. And he also believed that it was, it was related to Atlantis, that some of the Atlantis knowledge had actually come to places like Ireland and that there was a connection uh, with them and that there was clear evidence of a very deep culture in places like Newgrange and that, you know, which where they, they, they again, they have quartz all over the place. Um, so he fell out with them over this uh, Krishnamurti uh, issue. At that stage, he developed his mystery plays, uh, developing on from people like Edward Shuray, and he'd have in his mystery plays, he'd have Christ and Lucifer and Araman and these figures, and Kagushki comes up, a plant healer, uh, comes up in that as well. So he's fitting himself into this mystery tradition that came and the Eleusinian mysteries, and, and this came about because a number of thinkers, including, and Yeats as well, went on a similar path trying to develop magic. What they said was, and they specifically point to Huxley, they, they understood that this was an ideological effort to clear everything. When George Carlin says they want it all, he means they want it all, but people don't understand. You want, they want your soul as well. They want your spirit, and, and, and they're really going for that. That's, that's the biggest prize. And these guys understood it. So they knew they had to create a reaction. They didn't believe that the church structures understood what was happening. So they didn't believe that Christianity, as it had come to uh, there, had, had uh, sufficient resilience in order to respond to the issue. So they had to go back to an earlier position. So he's quite happy with the church in, in many ways in this earlier incarnation. He would have accepted, I think, that the, the Celtic Christianity he would have accepted th their knowledge before Constantinople and, and the Council of Constantinople. So, but he didn't want to throw out the discipline thing. He understood that the scientific method had come out, the scholastic method, and the, that the, uh, most of the great, most of the great esoteric thinkers were associated with the church or in, in some way, going back to Roger Bacon and the discovery of uh, the Gross, Bishop Gross test, uh, who researched light. And guys working in the 1200, that science didn't come off the ground. It didn't come from theory. It came through the practice, and the church led the practice. In fact, if you look at automatons, who I've talked about automatons, uh, it was the church that developed them. When you went into medieval churches, there were all kinds of moving figures in them. They developed the technology. That was where Descartes, Descartes saw some of the figures that, uh, that led to his thinking about the nature of beings. So, Steiner was against this Orientalism and emphasized Occidentalism, the Western method, and he, the Judeo-Christian method. He believed that, that that was critical as allied to or integrating 
Hermeticism and all the all the different and Kabbalah and all the different tradition, including the folk tradition. So he understood that there was something wrong with this. There was something wrong with shifting towards the Orient. He believed Lucifer had been uh, uh, incarnated in in the Orient, and they were they were too Luciferic that they, they didn't have the sufficient balance, and uh, that they wouldn't it was inappropriate for Europe, and it would destroy itself. From 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 emphasizing this, so he was going against the grain by referring to Christ, and he couldn't obviously do it in the traditional way. So he had to describe it as he saw on a different dimension that was real, and that if we gave it up, that the kind of game was over. So he he believes Golgotha was, and for for non Christians and without the, the the church, that it was the most significant event in the evolution of human consciousness. Now. Jung has, has a similar view, if you, if you re read closely, and also people like Ivan Illich uh, believe that our concept of life and that comes from, comes from there. Last point, I'll I just say on this, a lot of people now are repeating, in this repeating mechanism, they're repeating things about the churches. Now, I'm not, I, I have criticized the churches and what goes on in the whole, but what you have to be careful about is throwing the baby out with the bathwater, that Western culture grew up over hundreds of years, its legal system, the concept of rights, the concept of, of dignity of the individual, grew up in specific contexts and didn't come from other contexts, didn't grow in other, in other uh, systems. Uh, so if, as Barfield and others taught, following on, who, who was a lover of Steiner, that we had to develop our consciousness, we couldn't go back to, we couldn't go back to a previous position. We had to go to a final participate participate mechanism which integrated our former things and the final point uh people talk about duality and they they said there's luddites and there's high-tech people but as i was talking to mike there's also what alvin toffler talked about uh the techno rebels the people in the center who master technology and understand its limitations and say hold on we're, we're taking control because we're not we're not letting it go too far so there's not just luddites and mechanophiles, because I think love mm -hmm. of technology becomes a kind of fetish, uh, uh, like in sorcery, uh, gadget worship, as Norbert Wiener talked about. But there's the techno rebels that were predicted by Toffler. So they understand technology, but understand its limitations and seek to master it. And they're the, the important group as well that comes into it. But theosophy um, was an element of his thinking, but uh, it, it, he really superseded that with anthroposophy. And if you think about it, theosophy, of course, existed long before Theosophy with a capital T. It's the study of, of wisdom, divine wisdom. And many traditionalists don't think Theosophy with a capital T was even Theosophy in that sense. And Steiner says, OK, well, we can't operate at that level of the stalactite. We'll come at it from the stalagmite uh, as a stalagmite and build up from the ground. Anthroposophy, start from the individual and work from the imago dei upwards and learn about ourselves in relation to the environment. And he also understood that the Christian force was associated with incarnation and nature, and it was necessary for the connection to the earth. And this, this stream also kind of manifests itself in critics of technology like Bernard Charbonneau in France and Jacques Ellul, and there his idea of the technological society, they emphasize incarnation, meaning the importance of embodiment, the importance of the natural world, the importance of us in the natural world. And they all emphasize that this incarnation was a manifestation of the significance of the human body in relation to the 
the uh, environment. So it was transcendent, imminent, and embodied, which which distinguishes a Malusiferian or uh, Aramanic uh, idea or any other Surat, Suratic idea as well. Mm -hmm. the, the mystery of Golgotha, too, is about the etheric uh, nature of Christ's blood going into the earth, right? Yes. And yeah. in impregnating the earth. And so Steiner's anthroposophy, you know, anthroposophy is that ground up, as you're saying. That's really interesting, taking that etheric truth up. Yeah. One thing about uh, Blavatsky, I don't know if you're familiar with, and it was in the early 20th century, and you're talking about going back to the East when she's in India in uh, Adyar, I believe she was doing a yeah. lot of these uh, sort of mystical um, uh, <clears throat> gatherings. And there was a Madame Kalum, I believe, who came out and said that uh, she was a fraud. Blavatsky was a fraud. You had the British uh, Psychial Research Society with um, Richard Hodgkin, who did yeah. the investigation and they found the secret panels. Yes. They found that yeah. it was uh, all kind of a hoax and that they were pretending that there is these... Um, you know, ascended masters that were dropping letters yeah. to her. So I think Steiner, who was real, I believe was really tapped in and was a true mystic, had this sort of, you know, integrity and knew this deep down inside. So I think that might have been another reason why he wanted to separate himself as far as possible from Blavatsky. Yeah, but she was she was she was gone by the time that uh, he comes into the uh, Theosophist. So that could be there in the background, certainly. But uh, she wasn't really influential by the time he comes along. And there's a funny thing, a parallel is Yates. So Yates goes over and meets Blavatsky and joins the Theosophical Esoteric Society at a time when she has very few followers. And he was aware of all, all this stuff. But he said, nevertheless, that Blavatsky was very powerful. So whatever way he perceived mm. her power. So even though those things are true, uh, she still had this power which operated on a different level he was very impressed with her although he left uh, and, and was in the, the order of the golden dawn yeah but those elements certainly uh, could be there uh, you you reminded me i, I just want to, to to add to about golgotha and this is my interpretation totally nothing got to do with steiner but it follows on from see, see the if you look at um if you look at what c.s lewis and, and Tolkien talked about Golgotha. They said it's a myth which is true. It actually happened. That's what that's what what they taught. So in its mythic element of something that happened, and that's not in dismissal of meaning it's fictive uh, event. That we, if it's uncertainly as a true myth, we can look to it again for help in these issues. And so I, I believe there is an extra message, which Steiner focuses on the mystery of Golgotha on the mystery elements that link to the mystery schools. I, I focus now on the meaning of Golgotha. So, of course, I, I think there is a message here that uh, Golgotha means the place of the school, and Calvary refers to the, the same thing as the Calvarium on, on the head. Uh, and there's debates about the nature of the cross that Jesus was crucified on. And, and then the early theory was that it was a tau cross, in the letter T in the, in the Hebrew alphabet, so he crucified on a T, which is also the shape which is on the on the human skull. There's a, there's a, a shape there. It's a mystically powerful shape that was important for for people like Saint Francis. So I, I believe there's a kind of there's a sign. One of the signs is about the skull that this this true story, true myth, whatever you want to call it, archetypal thing, tells us about where we are now. That in many contexts. The 
a Christian story works in an agricultural society. When the agricultural society changes, all the parables don't make sense. All the context don't make sense. My parents were broke up on a farm. So the, 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 the Christian story, the parables, would speak directly to what they were doing with sheep and lambs and all, all this kind of stuff, the fields. So, in fact, there's a film called Death Field with Richard Harris. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Not a great film, but have you seen it? Yeah. Well, my grandfather actually minded sheep. It, it was his uncle's field, the field that they used. They used to camp in that field. That's not another story, but uh, uh, anyway, the school. So it's clear the play, the school is the the an esoteric dimension to this. The place of the school is no accident, and uh, reinforced by Calvarium, Brainion, and Greek. You, you know, it's a bit of a giveaway. When General Gordon goes there, when he he, do, he doesn't think that Golgotha was based or, or was where the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and the, and the Protestants hadn't got place in there. So he finds an alternative Golgotha, which is in the shape of a skull. But, you know, but that, that's another element. But the point was, mystically, he understood that the skull was the critical element. Another indication of this persistent of the motif of the skull is in a short story in 1952 by Philip K. Dick. It's well worth reading. I don't know if we should tell you or spoil it, but... But it really explains about a Christ-like figure who appears in 1962 in, uh, I think it was in Colorado, somewhere in America. And he explains how we might have a, a through time travel, uh, a, a, a resurrection, and uh, how the skull was critical. It's well worth reading. But again, the point, Philip K. Dick understood that the, through his focus, that this, the skull was the critical element. So the school in the pagan traditions, in the Irish tradition, is the home of consciousness. It's a magic thing. In Babylonian magic, you use the school for necromancy to contact the spirits and particular spirits. So you actually use the school. So they always knew that the school was linked to consciousness and to the other world. So you wanted to secure the head. You use the head and sacrifice. Louis Labrocchi, the artist, draws the, 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 the heads or kind of school like of, of artists and because he refers to that magic box tradition in, in the Celtic tradition. Uh, there's a great legend of Bran, which is associated with Tristan and, and Isolde, which is a critical legend for Parseval, critical legend for Wagner that in, into German, which, which relates to a journey to Ireland. Uh, again, another, another connection. But in, in the Welsh story, there's Bran, and Bran is a giant, and his head is buried under Tower Hill, maybe on the world of St. Paul's Cathedral. This is to protect Britain, an ancient story. The school was associated with a hill, was associated prote with protection, because the power, the power continues. Um, so this, this school motif is, is there again and again, and the Golgotha was also speaking to that ancient, uh, that, that ancient tradition. And in this context, we see that the, the consciousness continues, consciousness is, is, uh, is per persists. Now, what we're faced with, so the, the message about that, the Christian message is about uh, the school being important, the school being a home of, or associated with consciousness and being associated with resurrection. And then we have the, per, the inversion of this school mechanism, which was associated with, with sorcery. 
and the school becomes critical in this scientific uh, pursuit. So if we take Taylor de Chardin, the great, suppose a mystic, he was also associated with the Piltown, Piltown man, the, 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 the false skull that was found, the fabrication. He was associated with that. Now, people say now, oh, he'd nothing got to do with it. You know, he didn't, wasn't him. Although Stephen Jay Gould believed he was fundamentally associated with it. He goes to, he goes to China and he finds Peking man who mysteriously disappeared afterwards that the Chinese used, the Communist Party used to explain why the evolution of Chinese man was so critical. So what we have is, and, and Thomas Huxley, of course, was the founder, one of the founders with Blumenbach of scientific racism which was based on spurious measurement of intelligence associated with skulls. So in the scientific tradition, there's an effort to recapture through craniology, false craniology, et cetera, a false uh, idea, a magical idea of the skull to replace the idea of spiritual consciousness, to replace the gray idea of the skull being the home of, of, of consciousness. And yeah. we see this preoccupation it goes through all. It explains why you have skull and bone societies, why you have the schools associated with the, the Nazis and the Totenkopf uh, in Nuremberg, why you have this uh, fascination with this magical element of the school, which sees it as an object to be to be contained, to be achieved, which is which is a conflict. So uh, there is some message in the. Uh, in the mystery of Golgotha, which is associated, in my view, or a prediction or an anticipation of this battle for consciousness, that it understands that the next phase of evolution is this context of, as explained by Steiner, us evolving spiritually, as I argue for spiritual involvement. And the final battle, the final revelation is associated with this battle, because in many senses, the Armageddons and uh, apocalypses that Jesus talked about were about Jerusalem. They weren't about some of the, 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 the other ones. And Steiner writes about the dark forces in his, his essay on John and the Apocalypse. So as well as that Steiner element, I would say that if you understand that a lot of the and a last example of this, a last example to prove that the dark school, the dark magic school motif or why Judas had to kiss Jesus on the skull uh, is uh, Robert Boyle. Now, Robert Boyle, the great father of chemistry. Um, if you go back and look at the time, one of the things that they were interested in was skull moss. And this was taking moss off skulls as a medicine and making the skulls into a medicine. It was effective a type of cannibalism. You know, it's, it, 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 there's books written about that. So they were never short of school moss because there was always schools from Ireland because, they, of course, they're beheading people all the time over there. One of the people that's lauded as a great uh, noble writer, uh, Gilbert, used to put the heads of the decapitated men, women and children outside a tent. So when you're negotiating, you have to walk up between the schools on, on the way. So this, the poisonous chemicals have the skull on it as well. The pirates have the skull on it. This is the dark skull and the, the dark quest for consciousness. As opposed to that is another is that symbol of the skull. And the, the skull is the grail, if you like, not, not confined to the brain, but it's about a different message. 
and that corresponds to the the Celtic stories of the school. And in fact, they don't know where the word brain came from. It might have come from this guy, Bran, from the from the legends. So focus on anything associated with coming into the school, taking control of the school, uh, anything associated with drilling holes in the school, anything associated with coming into that source is an ancient or a continuation of an ancient attempt to control your spiritual consciousness, not just your physical, physiological consciousness. It goes back to Babylon. It's, it, it, it's, it's proven by the people that's, that study the, the runes and the, and the cuneiform text that this is what they were explaining. And this has never gone away, this fascination with consciousness. But that's what we're talking about. So it's not just a little thing to help you drive your car better or to help you work longer or whatever. That's all nonsense. That, Coming for your eternal soul. Now, I don't say that people afraid. I say that to make to liberate people. So not to concentrate on the things that are irrelevant and to concentrate it's, the other things. So uh, well, ju it, just to just bear that in mind when when, when the, the school motif is a, a part of the message. And the last point, um, last point, sorry that no, go ahead. What are they investigating in relation to Alzheimer's? Tau proteins. It's quite incredible. The word tau. I know it's an acronym. But TAU, my my belief would be that that link, the chance link or deliberate link, and the use of the word tau in relation to the proteins helps us focus that there's a sign there that the spiritual tradition would say, pay attention to tau proteins in relation to microtubules, consciousness, and efforts perhaps to control consciousness. This is uh, also interesting in light of the metamorphosis of the human form because the skull would be considered the salt pole or the neurological pole or the male factor. And uh, the neurology, the, the neurological pole is actually an extension of the heavens. It's receiving the information. The skull is considered the salt pole because it's the most solid object of the body. It protects the neurology. So it's all about receiving those higher impulses. Now, um, when you, Mike, you said, uh, you know, about the blood of Christ reaching the earth. Well, that's in fact what happens when those impulses come through the neurological pole that creates a metabolic pole, which is the creation of blood. Uh, blood then becomes uh, um, uh, dead in a way. But then on the ground in that realm, you know, on the South Pole, which is the carbon, the earth realm, then that gives makes life possible here and then, uh, you know, repeats the whole cycle. So you have the salt pole, the neurological pole, the metabolic pole, the, the blood pole, and it all fits in with this. Now, if you invert the whole thing, of course, now you're, uh, you know, uh, uh, reversing that ability to receive those higher impulses, which the neurology is. Uh, you know, from the heavenly realm, we'll say. Yes. So, and yeah. then, you know, when you look at the, our human form as a representation of everything that we're talking about, and then, of course, uh, we look at the the less, uh, the more mobile structures of our body that, uh, you know, are given life by the metabolic pole, the blood, and we look at the extremities, they're flopping all over the place. Well, then that allows the third element that the, uh, that the alchemists even talked about in their own jargon, uh, which allowed for the mobilization of the human form or the exercise of free will. So all of this just really fits in brilliantly. And of course, I always have a bias of looking at things anatomically 
because mm -hmm. of my profession. But um, you know, as the old hermetic per, uh, you know principles, as above, so low, uh, as yeah. above, so below. So it all is one and the same thing. So any thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And there was a funny thing after after the resurrections. Is the thing that theologians dismiss in relation to the descriptions of Jesus after the resurrection. And when they had the meals and that, he talked about salt, and, and, and salt was critical about being salted so again for me it was a re-emphasis of the crystalline form the significance of the crystalline form not got to do with seasoning as they say it's got to do with the crystalline form and myelin and, and the nervous system uh is 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 liquid crystal uh, effectively and uh there's the idea that we we are water liquid liquid crystals or you know at base and uh so so, so that fits in the blood is well bloodlines we know about that but they are the royal families and that are fascinated with blood uh and, and i i have a well uh, an anecdote that i'm not going to tell you about, about that but they, the blood connection is is critical and, and understanding blood as a mystical element and again this crystalli crystallizing uh elements uh in that is important and of course burma explains things in terms of mercury and, and salt as well and again a crystal a crystal and a a mystical force going together so what's happening for if people if you look at arthur m young and just explaining what everyone knew in all the traditions is that the spirit comes down through various iterations into material matter and then it goes through uh, minerals plants animal stage you know in, in its process development hopefully becoming some kind of angelic being or a, a different level so what's happening is now the sorcerers are trying to bring us down bring us back down in into matter into the aramanic context so we're going through a process of of devolution of reverse evolution it's not evolution at all so the the uh, we can see already if you don't understand the that they're referring to humans as animals and hackable animals and hackable in two senses in relation to digitally and literally, unfortunately, because they're going to induce chaotic situations through fragmentation of social context uh, in order to, to, to make this work so that we'll be begging for the robots to, to, to marshal us and, and give us order again. So uh, they already treat us as animals. People forget, I come from Ireland and people forget, for example, when Frederick Douglass came to Ireland, uh the the great ex-slave liberator he said he'd never seen such poverty as he saw in ireland when the the theories of evolution came out uh, people don't understand that when they're talking about uh, humans as monkeys that the irish would have been it's about evolutionary context so the irish were white chimpanzees apes the whole lot so this is in and this continued up until when I was in, in London as a student, you could still see these stereotypes being represented in the media. Uh, it, it, it's quite uh, it's quite long. So, so we know they, they regard this as animals with different ones based on the school things. Scientific racism from people like Thomas H. Hook. Another curious thing about that is, but if you look at the legislation and criminalization of homosexuality, a lot of it came from the late 19th century Britain through the empire. It didn't come. What well, didn't come from the church? It didn't come. And, and this has been another 
another selling of scientism, another corruption of the historical record. There's books written about this, the, the, the spread in the British Empire of, of, of criminalization. And then people blame the church. It had nothing got to do with it. The Catholic Church certainly had nothing got to do with it. But so we're, we know that we're, we're being treated as animals. They're all, philosophers are already discussing the mentioned park that you're going to live in your 15-minute cities. Um, and uh, and various types of zoo, they mightn't be as nice as the zoos that you see when you when you go, you know, to, to visit them. Because I think they're they're not going to be as pleasant as that. I think they'll they'll want to have uh, they'll want to have entertainment for themselves when they're hovering around in their little uh, islands and uh, 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 and that. And actually, talk about that, Doctor No. What was he involved in? James Bond, guano. Uh, another is also in Doctor Strangelove. There's a colonel that's interested that's working on guano. It's it's it, it, they're, they're signaling to you. So where do we go after that? We, we know we're animals. Where do we go after that? We go plants. How do we become plants? Well, all this equipment we're dealing with is called plant in technical terms. And the telecommunications people talk about plant and electronic plant. And of course, the essence of the technocratic system is to establish a system of control of electricity. Uh, which will be the economic, the economy. So they abolish all the, they're going to abolish all the economy. You'll, they'll charge you on the basis of your use of of energy, and they'll they'll, they'll turn you into an energy measurement system, uh, like in the Matrix. But once they once they form, as Shakespeare said, uh, like Bohr with a little pin into the into this into the head, or and when he's talking about Richard II, II about death waiting and the antique weights, and until at last it comes with a little pin. Uh, well, he's kind of predicting what they have. Once they come in, then we're linked to the then we're linked uh, to the system, and then we become plant as well, literally. And that can continue with the crystallization or the crystals in our body or the insertion of nanotechnology, carbon filters, uh, graphene, etc., whatever in the body, surreptitiously or or, or obviously or with, with our consent. And then then that next stage, as as we become more integrated. We become mineral mineralized. Uh, we become this silicon. So then we become uh, possibly, you know, if it continues, because obviously they're at this stage now they can manipulate our body. But in a hundred years' time, the next development may be that they can they can prolong life, prolong your imprison your imprisonment in some material form, which is the ultimate objective. Uh, so, uh, so, so, so this is where it's going. So it's not advancing. And, and last point. They come along and they they get involved in all these fights, Darwin's bulldog, and they tell you, well, oh no, you weren't a creature of divine consciousness. It was all evolution, 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 evolution. And then all of a sudden, once they win the argument, they say, well, now we have to control evolution. It doesn't go together. So if they were so much into natural selection and all that, why didn't they they let it go? Because it wasn't about natural selection. This was a maneuver, as they call it, to to remove the power, to remove the opposition that was continued through people like Gramsci, that was continued by both the left and the right. Look at Trotsky in 1925, explaining what would happen in the future under communism, that we would have the Superman who could understand all the works of Goethe and Shakespeare. And it's this super figure uh, based on technology. And we saw what their technology was when they destroyed uh, the environment in, 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 uh, in Russia through mass mass uh, mass policies that were inconsistent with understanding the nature so that's what the objective is that's behind it and uh, of course it's not going to be easy 
but they only have to impede our natural functions. They don't have to come up with some super gizmo technology. They only have to lock you down, force you to use technology, force you to have connections with te technologies bit by bit, and then it's gone. Then it's over. Then you're something else. You're a slave. You're a part of a system. You're a part of the, 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 the perverted uh, idea of the Christ force that, that Teller de Chardin uh, had and, and was anticipated as Bernard Charbonneau as a, a prophet of totalitarianism. So yeah, it, it all links and we have, we have to think in those terms, drawn on all those things with the real traditions that you do and the real investigations that you do using proper science uh, informed by, by its history to give us solutions. And, uh, and I, I'm not, uh, don't want to be depressive about other people. There, the, the solutions are there. Nature will tell us the plants will tell us, the animals will tell us, the earth will tell us if we open ourselves up to it, if we're, if we evolve. So part of this is an invitation for us to evolve to the next level so that you do want to come back bare next time. So you do want to be, you do want to come back to see us. <laughs> uh, only if the, uh, if the insane aren't running the, the asylum, uh, then I might consider it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's totally uh, maybe totally off topic, but I heard rumor somewhere that you were uh, maybe uh, a fan of Luther Burbank. Yeah, I, I, I was um, when I began to follow the treads, I began to find because he did uh, the book by uh, Yogananda was, was, was uh, autobiography was of a yogi. Yeah. Then you have the, that's right. Then you have the connection with. The McDonald's and the potatoes, and then you have the connections with the crop research in in California and how critical that was. And I knew about that from my love of Steinbeck, who's an interesting figure in, in, in all of this. And going back to the grapes of wrath and and Ed Ricketts and biology, and and he kind of made me want to be at one time a marine biologist. <laughs> I knew all I could see those tide pools out in California, and I did. A funny thing on that, uh, I used to travel around to do all talks. So I, I seldom traveled if it wasn't to do a talk. So when I did have the one, kind of one of the few chances to, to go somewhere on my own, girlfriend at the time, uh, I said, I want to go to California and I want to visit Monterey because I've read all these places and or to go through and go big sewer and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it was funny uh, that was just after my father died and i had a very strong compulsion to go to monterey and i felt it was steinbeck was calling me you know uh and a few year, uh, years later i learned that i have a half sister that live, lives and works there and i in fact stopped kind of near probably near where she where she she lives it was a strange one of these things but uh understanding steinbeck and the uh, understanding of nature and what did Steinbeck say that the preciousness of the mind of man was under attack by the group and they were coming for the lonely mind of man and that the only thing that ever any greatness ever came from in human culture was the lonely mind of man he did he said that in east of eden he said that i think in, in his nobel prize acceptance speech and he understood that the forces of te technology and in particular focusing on the tractor and the dust bowl and the origin of the of the the movement of people from Oklahoma etc was true intensive farming true speculative use of finance 
and that caused the economic or that caused the ecological crisis that led to and then in california of course you had this concentration of that industry which was part of the imperial system and then uh luther burbank and that uh, you have various figures um of course the word clones as well comes from a plant context originally so i was trying to explain in the book that a lot of our terminology a lot of the words that we think are high technology come from a plant context and a lot of people don't understand that so most of our knowledge of kind of the future is really plant-based uh, and that's an important thing to begin to think that true to think how they're thinking to think how, uh, how how they use these models sometimes at an unconscious level sometimes at a conscious level and it will help us understand that that we are to be farmed we are to become plants and that everything associated with their management is to organize us so when they bring in different plants as they move people around why are they why why did they bomb libya for example uh you know when, when you look at the how libya on, on paper and, and and it's 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 not such a bad place uh and why did they bomb that when gaddafi poor el devil thinking that uh he's thinking that they won't bomb him because they don't want a whole load of people coming up from africa to europe but they did they did want it they did want because they they don't want an homogenous group of people anywhere that could resist it so they needed to do this plantation to continue this plantation in, in a modern context to establish a degree of heterogeneity that couldn't have any coherence to be able to unite against a common enemy uh, of global government yeah so some of these figures are very important because they're thinking on plants help us understand uh, on a deeper level some of the force that we wouldn't think we wouldn't think that plants technology makes you look for co complexity and actually some of the things are simpler and deeper and longer held understandings that we have to get so that's why in your work i think it's important for people to philosophize to draw out from some of the explanations you do and, and, and to learn wider messages and 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 of course as we have a strategic and tactical response to this to to learn from those contexts and and of course in plant medicine it's all been standardized into um trying to identify molecular elements within plants that make it work whereas if you're actually out there working with the plants you look at how they grow uh you look at all their different characteristics when i practice plant medicine and i'm selecting something that might benefit somebody else i look at that personality the plant and look at the imbalance in that person not from a chemical perspective but just you know as far as the attributes that are going to help that person heal on on all levels and and you do that by just looking at plants so it'll tell you everything about them you don't have to look at a chemistry book uh you really don't even have to study herbology all you have to do is spend time with them watch yeah. them grow and get to know them and it's uh it, it, things get pretty intuitive actually and then there's also clues from from history or names like Humphrey is exactly. called bone knit you know I mean it's a bit of a giveaway uh <laughs> and uh, there is it's been scientifically proven that people didn't believe it and I eat the dandelions uh at this time of the year when, when they come out and of course the name don't the leon the lion's tooth is telling you something you don't get a name like that unless there's something 
in it, mm -hmm. uh, really, as we know, uh, a powerful book regarded as a weed that people want to get rid of. You know, with with this poison skull, they want to get rid of their dandelions, uh, etc. So uh, some of this, the way we think about things, again, we can get a clue by what it is that they're fighting against, uh, and then the understanding of bees, as as you know about. And, uh, Steiner's lecture on, on bees, for example, and what he understood by looking at bees and how he looked at the hive as a head, for example. Again, you had the, it was a kind of school, uh, and, and he, he interpreted the bees coming in and out as different flows of blood, etc. So it was a brilliant kind of deep penetrating insight. And when you get esoteric truth, you recognize it immediately as true. You, you, your instinct on a deep level, you can say, yeah, that, that's it, you know, and, and sometimes it's unexpected sometimes it's not but when it's some some of his insights you, you know them to be right your your, your natural instincts uh, come into accord with the the thing and you can you can tell it and uh, the the his prescience on on bees and the significance of bees um w w was awesome as well but uh, so uh, and, and then on the last point on the bees I see some of the supposedly enlightened ones telling us about the one that work on the recovery of bees by integrating them into in information technology systems by uh, with Google and, and uh, measuring them and following them and uh, uh, this kind of uh, I, I, you know we have to be careful in relation to how we solve these problems and how we can consider these problems but uh, it's going to be a struggle for for people that want to do so but by focusing on, on on supporting people that are, are beings that support us, like bees, uh, it's a good start. Uh, and by making it easy for 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 birds and uh, and other animals in the ecosystem, or fish, uh, like for example, I remember getting a salmon in the west of Ireland, and they used to my father's family would have got salmon coming up, even not always legally, but the, the fish comes in uh, from the Atlantic and jumps up the waterfall, and if you taste them. It didn't taste anything like salmon that you'd get in other contexts. The taste of it was was so, or muy fuerte, as the Spanish would say. I mean, it's, it's very, it doesn't bear any resemblance to salmon that we get in, 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 in or people buy in the supermarkets, because of course, this, some of the salmon in the cages are, are, are some of the most poisoned, the poisoned uh, fish or beings that you can get, the amount of stuff they put in for the sea lice. So the difference between a, a wild salmon, a genuinely one, uh, which has life in it, and which is trying or able to use the the the, the Schaubergian perception of water to get up the the the, the waterfall. Uh, and again, salmon leap. This was a this was a martial arts uh, technique in the ancient Ireland. I mean, it, there's always the signs, the correspondences, the consistencies, the patterns. And you talked about pattern uh, that we have to look at. And they they get reinforced, and if it's reinforced in a whole range of different contexts, you kind of know you're on the right track uh, in order to come to insights. So that's why people have to expose themselves uh, to those different ways of thinking. So James, uh, th this has been more than delightful here, and uh, I don't want to uh, abuse your generous time here. So. Uh, maybe if you have any last thoughts or um, uh, uh, maybe inform our audience where they can find you, uh, where they can get your brilliant works, um, any final things you'd like to share? Um, well, uh, yeah, James, 
jamestunney.com and not on any other social media. There's a website that people can have a look at. Um, yeah, the last thoughts on a positive note. What's happening in a mystical context is that there's new families forming internationally, globally. And these are people that are of their own will shining their light. It was anticipated in notions of the congregation of light. So I describe it as a mystic murmuration. It's happening now. So that people will move individually into different networks of people that will operate on a number of levels, levels, including telepathically in some senses, that they will begin to uh, communicate in an unstructured way. Every structured context that works at some level, it won't work at the top level. So there is a movement of connection, a, 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 counter, a counter movement, a counter force, uh, which is happening. Uh, and that will help concentrate the, an analysis. It will help concentrate a communication network. It will help inform people. It will help uh, the level of consciousness uh, arise. And those individuals and others will begin to understand the need to emerge from the chrysalis or they turn into goo. That's the choice. You're going to stay <laughs> in the chrysalis and turn into goo, or you can come out and be yourself. So I, I always say to people that it's, it's, it's as easy as that to make a decision that you're not going to be a slave and they are not going to be afraid. Uh, so uh, there are positive things, but we're looking at the history of anti-colonial struggles. We really will be have to operate on a higher level with more imagination, uh, be careful about what we're throwing out. Uh, don't be so critical of other traditions. Try and work with them. Don't make presumptions that you know about other traditions. You may not do. Uh, they have hidden secrets as well. We want to come through our traditions to a higher level and use it as the uh, springboard for spiritual evolution uh, through opening our heart, through uh, loving nature, uh, and to loving the divine consciousness as manifests itself in the Garden of Eden that we do have. And whatever whatever uh, disillusionment one might feel, when, when I'm sure when you go to your garden, you, you, you feel that you're in a heavenly space when, when you're there or when you're out at, at the sea. And I certainly do. So it's a great place. We can't get too disillusioned. The problem is we need more of access to the earth, walking barefoot on the earth and earthing than than otherwise so 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 i want us to be positive the most important the, the, the one key thing is you have to activate your spiritual consciousness and whatever path you have to activate your spiritual consciousness you have to be an agent and once you do you're not going to be subject you're not to to, to bureaucrats who want to take your life away or give you uh, sell your soul for a burger and, and, a, and a soda so so i just want to thank you uh, i respect the work that you're doing the two of you, it was great to talk to Mike the other day. It's great to talk to you and Bear, and to talk to the two of you. Uh, and I really appreciate and uh, we give each other sustenance in the mystic murmuration when we begin to see and we go through our various struggles and insights uh, and uh, we vindicate uh, the path that we're on in our, in our own different perspectives. And when you hear the echoes of other people's works and uh, it, it gives inspiration and hope and uh, so there, there is going to be there is going to be a, a survival of of uh, an evolved form of human consciousness, which is proper consciousness, drawing on all the past and drawing on all the traditions and for people that want to and the other people that want to live as slaves, as, as gimps uh, in uh, and the, if they want to do that, if it turns them on, 
uh, good luck to them, but the, there's no intermediate path anymore. So we may be taking the middle path, but there is no middle path between the, the, the good and evil in this. So I want to thank you for your time and consideration, and I hope I didn't bang on too much as I as I am wont no, to do. <laughs> so, Not at all, James. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, James. This has been uh, as awesome as I thought it would be. Uh, everyone go to jamestunney.com. The link's below. Uh, his books are there. His art, we didn't even touch on your, oh, a little bit on your art behind you, but love your art style. Uh, you guys can go check out all his interviews on there as well. Uh, New Thinking Aloud, uh, uh, Mishlove and you have done, I don't know how many, like 60, you said. It's like amazing. Know, just, just 40. Yeah. yeah oh, 40 <laughs> interviews, just 40. Uh, so go check that out and thanks again james so much everyone remember the answer is in nature as i say at the end of every show remember to get outside get your feet in the dirt uh go plant something go for a hike mother nature is our best teacher and that is the prime solution it's decentralized uh from the inside out that's where this all begins and then we all connect as we're doing with alpha vedic uh love you guys we'll see you next week same time thursday 10 a.m have a beautiful weekend cheers thank you